Welcome to Look-See, the podcast for the art curious in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. I think I've thought about photography as a way of stopping time, of preserving what we're seeing in the moment that the picture is made talking with photographer Chester Higgins about his body of work over the last five decades was a real shift in perspective for me. Chester uses his camera to search for the unseen and make it visible. In his images of people, from his early portraits of members of his family to his ongoing series exploring the people and culture of Ethiopia, he challenges what we think we know and asks us to see the spirit, giving visual definition to the lived human experience. Chester's works are currently on view at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts as part two of a series of exhibitions showing images from the Black Photographer's Annual, a four-part publication that was inspired by the Black Arts Movement of the 1960s and 70s. Volume two was the first to include images made by earlier generations of Black photographers, one of whom was P.H. Polk. Chester Higgins first encountered Polk's work as a student at Tuskegee Institute, where Polk worked as the official photographer. And Chester brought Polk's work to the attention of the publisher of the Black Photographer's Annual. Both Polk and Higgins worked to create opportunities for the Black community to see itself through the eyes of its own artists, rather than be contented with a view of itself presented by others. In Chester's words, My hope is that my pictures can become a lighthouse. People who are out on the river, I can't tell them which current to take to come to me. But at least my pictures, by the fact that they're present as they live their lives, they can chart their way. My name is Chester Higgins. I use my camera to document the life and times of people, especially people of color, to try to bring in my photographs uh, the fullness of their humanity, of their decency, their dignity, and virtuous character. And in all my work, fundamentally, I'm interested in what I call the signature of the spirit, because I think that we all exist at the pleasure of the spirit, and that humanity, like everything else, rides on a wave of the spirit. So I'm interested in what's obvious, and I'm interested in what's underneath the obvious. Chester, I'm really glad that you started diving deep right away because when I was reading about the way you approach your work I was so struck by this idea of the spirit. Your work is an effort in some ways to try to make that spirit visible. When I think about photography and I think when a lot of people think about photography we think about it as photography is capturing what we see rather than making the unseen visible. And so this idea of visualizing the unseen is a real shift in perspective for me. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that and how you got to that place in your work. Is, is that something that you began with in your work or that came to you as you went along in your practice over the years? First of all, I didn't really start out to be a photographer. That was in college. But the spiritual thing came to me as a child. When I was nine and I was asleep at night, it must have been around midnight, I heard a sound in my head and I woke up. And to my astonishment, 
in this dark room, one wall of the room was lit up in a big circle. And a, a man was standing in it. And the air had a certain charged particles to it. And as I sat up and looked, and for a moment the, the man raised his arms and opened his eyes, and that still didn't scare me. But then, a moment later, the man started to move towards me, and I heard this voice in my head that says, come to me. Well, then I knew it must be the angels of Gabriel. It must be death coming after me. So I screamed at the loud of my, top of my voice, and my parents and grandparents rushed into the room, and somebody pulled the, the, the chain light, and this thing, this apparition went away. I remember my mother beneath me trying to console me and find out what happened. And I remember feeling estranged in a very interesting way. Somehow I felt sure that I was dead. And this meant that this was the, the last grasp of the living holding on to the dead before the soul goes away. And gradually I, I came to um, overcome that and, and talk to them. But that sort of made me realize that there is something parallel. We're always going backward and forwards at any time in the present. Backward and forwards exist. And any time in the present, parallels exist. Now, I think in this culture, we're taught to be afraid of that. And we spookify death. But in fact, you know, we're born to die. That's a given. But that's not the end of it is like what you do while you're here. But the other part of it is, I think, as artists, you know, we are focused on what it is that we are creating, what it is that we are giving life to, as though that depended upon our existence, and it doesn't. We can't give existence to anything that's not already here. Our work as an artist is always collaborative. Our work as a person each day is collaborative. We breathe the same air that somebody else is breathing. That's collaborative. We're collaborating with the creator that makes it. To me, I try to look at a moment and I fragmentize it. If you can imagine a, a moment being composed of a square, but the square turns. So in every face of the square, you see a reality, but only if you're in the point where you can watch the corner of the square as it makes its turn, do you see a glimpse of the spirit behind the reality? And for me, that's where I try to make my photographs, at that point when the moment is making a change. I'm thinking about the incredible images of people that you have made over the years of your practice as a photographer. There are many things that strike me as sort of themes over the years and in your images. One of them is the eyes. And one of your most famous images, an iconic image really, I, I think it's safe to say, is an image of, I think she's young, but you can't see very much of her face, a young Muslim, black Muslim woman. Her entire face is covered by these beautiful white coverings except for her eyes. And, and her eyes are really a window into her spirit or her soul, and I think maybe even the word soul is included in the title of the piece. One of the first photographs that, or the first photograph that's in the show here at the Virginia Museum is a photograph of your great aunt, Suge Lampley, and her eyes are so revealing of, of who she is, 
what she's experiencing, what she thinks about, you know, you behind the camera that we can't see, but she can. Another image that I just love of yours is Willette yeah. Coleman. Yeah, Coleman. I love that image because I think any woman can relate to that look on her face. She's standing there looking at a guy who's giving her a, a line, and the look on her face is tired and cynical, but also powerful and strong. She doesn't want to hear it, she doesn't need to hear it, but she feels like she has to stand there and listen. But her eyes are also very revealing about her in that moment. You know, and then the photographer's eye is something that we talk about in an entirely different way. The photographer's eye is something that we think of as like the artist's eye, the the ability to see that moment and capture it. But your images seem to kind of flip that and and focus on the eyes of the person that you are collaborating with in that moment to make that picture. Yes, yes. I do believe the eyes are the most revealing part of us in Terrell's souls. And also believe that a photograph never lies about the photographer. And I think in photographing people, I have come to learn that I can only capture in another person what I understand in myself. If I understand that cerebral space in myself, then I know it when I'm seeing it in somebody else. So the emphasis has been for me to always dig into myself, to sift through the high points, the low points, the joy, the pain, the uncertainty, the confusion, the assertions, the um, self-authorization, the doubt, the pregnancy of a moment. I have to be able to touch all of that inside of myself before I can see it somewhere else. Then the other underlying thing is that I grew up around people who felt a certain generosity to each other, even strangers. I remember they will always come back and among themselves and discussing it was that, well, that's somebody's child. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's son. And that gave them the generosity, the distance, to not take it personal. Those are the lessons, as well as my own work, that pours into when I go to make a photograph. I say make because I don't take photographs. I make them because of all of this going on. It's a collaborative act rather than a, a capturing of, of an image. If you capture anything, you kill it. Or imprison it. Own it. So you are here in Richmond because some of your images, a selection of your images, are on view in the photography gallery here at the Virginia Museum along with the images of P.H. Polk. It's because of Polk that I, that I picked up the camera. And I like to think, you know, we're walking through the gallery and Polk is on one side and I'm on another side. And, you know, the reality is that my work is an echo of Polk's because before I discovered Polk's photographs, I lived in a world where the images of black people always fit uh, two different categories, villains or victims. Nowhere did I see the pictures that spoke to the wholeness of the person, like Polk's pictures did. And Polk's pictures, as I later analyzed, the three things that are not only are two categories for us, 
But the three things that are always missing when you look at people of African descent was decency, dignity, and virtuous character. So that what I've tried to do is build upon Polk, build upon my own analysis, and, and try to let my work become a visual document that the world could share to broaden the approach to how you see people of African descent. As I understand it, you started out borrowing Polk's camera <laughs> and making pictures of your own family. Because when you saw his images, you thought, I would love to make images of my family that captures their dignity and that sees them as the whole person, as the person that you know and love, as opposed to a person that fits within a, a preconceived idea that someone who didn't know them or didn't know their community or their culture might do if they were the one behind the camera. And you continued to make work that very directly challenged stereotypes about black people in America in the 60s and 70s. Some of your images that are in the gallery at the museum are from a book that you did called Black Woman that challenged assumptions about black women in the broader culture while also celebrating their womanhood. Uh, and those are some wonderful images. And then also you, at around the same time, were making images of black men in situations that were challenging to the stereotypes. One of my favorites is the guardian of Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. And it's this young man. And, and I think still a lot of white people in this country, when you say Black Panthers, they are afraid and they have sort of swallowed hook, line, and sinker the, the production image of what and who Black Panthers were and are. And, and this image is really, it's rooted. It's such an interesting image. So it's a young man standing on the, the I don't know how he's balancing himself there. <laughs> he's standing on this chain link fence topped with barbed wire. He's standing, he's got himself balanced on the top bar of that fence. You know, he looks the part in many ways, and yet he has the kindest, most gentle face. His posture is not threatening at all. You took a lot of images and chose that one as something that reveals a different side to this young black man. And then at the same time, and then continuing today, you've also been going to Ethiopia and making pictures there that also challenge our stereotypes of Ethiopians and Africans and all of those things. So I wonder if you have seen an evolution in any way. Well, let me approach it this way. I do believe that you are what you consume. If you consume bad food, it does bad things to you. Visually, if you consume bad imagery about yourself, then you confirm, your life will start confirming that imagery. So what I wanted to do with my work is to show that there is another side, there is a more full, positive side about being a person and being a person of color so that other people of color had that as an antidote to look at when they saw what the mass media, which uh, which uh, does not serve us well a lot of times, shows us. At the same time, I had faith that at some point in the future, well, as I go along, my neighbors 
my white neighbors would be able to who who are in touch with their own whatever brings them in touch with their own sense of realness and humanity will see the truth of my images and that as time continues that will broaden in both sides that more African Americans will see and embrace the truth of my imagery as well as more white Americans will see and embrace the truth of my images because fundamentally we are all uh, socialized animals socialization changes around us, we change. So that my hope is that my pictures that can only become a lighthouse. People who are out on the river, I can't tell them which current to take to come to me. But at least my pictures, by the fact that they're present and they are there, everybody knows where the lighthouse is. And they can, as as they live their life, they can chart their way to my images. I read somewhere that, that you endeavor to reveal a person's shine, and I love that idea. I think that was in the context of talking about your work, photographing older people, and that's such a beautiful way to think about it. We have it. The spirit is inside of us. The spirit is shining inside of us. You know, it doesn't take much to reach in and to embrace it if you're one who are comfortable with spirit. And not in a hocus-pocus way, but just comfortable with the fact it's a real thing. And that is, is obviously, it's not going to hurt you because it's allowed you to live. So if you can embrace the spirit, if I see you, anyone else, I see, yes, obvious things. When I make a photograph, I'm first working with something that's obvious. But what I'm really after is diving in behind what's obvious. I accept the obviousness, uh, but it's not really what interests me. What interests me is what's behind it, because that's what connects us all and connects us back to the one, whatever that one is. And that's exactly what makes your images compelling. They are familiar enough to draw you in, and then very quickly they are challenging and engaging and deep and complicated. So I want to ask you about your picture that is called The Burial Walk. And this is an image that you made. Most of the images, you know, there are images that that follow throughout your career, but this is one that was also made in the early part of your career in the 60s, I think. And it's an image of a casket that's being carried by pallbearers, which is something that we're familiar with both in our lives and also, I think, in, in photography. We see those images in in the newspaper, you know, in movies. But but this image was very arresting to me because of the perspective of it. The vantage point that you chose to look at this scene and these people from is almost underneath. And the effect of that is on me, as I looked at it, was really interesting. First of all, the ground becomes very prominent in this image, and that is a reminder of where that casket is going and where every other body and biological matter goes eventually and from which it springs anew. But also you see the, the legs and the feet of all of the, of the pallbearers, but also all of the people who are there at the burial. And it's a reminder that there's death in that picture and there's also life and community. How did that image come about? In a way, I like to call it, I know it's burial, but I like to, I like to think of it as a wit- the, the, the last witnesses. And shooting underneath it, uh, you see 
the legs of the last witnesses who are bearing you and people who are the pallbearers usually are the friends of the deceased. And by shooting underneath the casket, I show that you know, there, there's a finality in this moment. That view sort of um, had to come from my uh, childhood of uh, my great uncle, March 4th McGowan, was many things to me. And he was many things to the community I grew up in. He lived to die down Drenate. And he was the caretaker for the cemetery. And whenever someone died, the cemetery didn't have that many headstones and some of the wooden crosses had disappeared. So the record of where people were buried was fuzzy. And it was his job to take a, a long steel rod and walk to the cemetery and poke the grounds and find out where burials were and what was a ground that could be, that you could dig. And I remember I wasn't a great digger, but as a child, you know, children, we like to get involved in things, jumping down into the grave. And so you look out on the cemetery from standing in the grave, it looks totally different than standing on top of the ground. And I thought that for all the reasons that you mentioned that were going through my mind, I also felt that, wow, because I knew of this vantage point from being standing up inside of a grave that was being dug, I decided that all these things came together. And that's how that happened. It's an image of something that is familiar, but there is something challenging, arresting, attention-getting in a good way. That element of humanity in your pictures is what in the end connects me to your work and Polk's work. His work is much more formally composed, and that was not what you were doing at all, but it is that presence of and focus on the eyes, the humanity of the person, the soul. What would be so interesting is to see a comparison of Polk's photographs, his portraits with portraits that were taken by a white photographer in a um, portrait studio of a black family and how different it would be. Just as you were saying earlier, you know, you as the photographer, you can only make an image of what you see. I know. I think that's a great exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we photograph what we know. I mean, it's not a judgment because, you know, life, I do believe that... Um, Whatever a person feels today, that there's always tomorrow. They may feel differently. God is not finished with none of us. And so that the place we are now, you know, a different context, a different reality may change everything. But we're living through today. That's a generosity of spirit that we all deserve. Well, Chester, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really, really appreciate our time together. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of the Look See Podcast. Chester Higgins' work is on view at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts through May 6th. You can see some of his beautiful photographs at our website, www.look-c.co. At Look See, you will also find more artful things to read, watch, and listen to. 
I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening to Look See, the podcast for the art curious in Richmond and beyond.